So if you're new with us, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as Tim said, we're in part three of a very important series on parenting. And we've said in this series that parenting is this adventure of a lifetime. It's really a journey of a lifetime. And so we have some luggage on the stage to help us remember that and to to be reminded on a regular basis that it doesn't matter how old our kids get. It doesn't matter how old our grandkids get. We are always on this journey of parenting. And the reality is, even if you don't have kids, you have an opportunity to influence people around you. I don't want you to point at anybody who's with you today, but there are some people around us who still need parenting as adults. Don't point at them. All right, you may work with them, you may live with them, I don't know, but there's all kinds of opportunities to parent other people uh, in our lives who desperately need that. And here's an interesting twist as we get older. As we get older, we get more and more opportunities to parent our parents. Isn't that fun? So... um, Uh, my in-laws normally come to church here and uh, they're not here today. So let's just agree amongst us that we're not going to say anything about that. Okay. So I didn't say that today. So parenting really is this lifelong journey that we're always on. Now in this series over the past two weeks, what we've done is we've given you the opportunity to ask any question that you have about parenting. We've taken those questions in and you've turned in a lot of questions. So we got a big stack of questions. Last week, we started answering some of those questions. And today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the biggest category of question that you asked. And that is this, how do I discipline my kids? There's a whole bunch of you that were very interested in how to discipline kids. So I think I drew the short straw around our teaching team on, oh, look, I get to talk about discipline. Isn't this going to be super fun for all of us? Super important subject that we're going to learn today. And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to have a parenting panel up here. So I'm going to have a a couple, uh, three couples. Um, We're going to have parents in different seasons of life. So we're going to have a couple kind of new in their season of parenting. We have a couple kind of partway through their season of parenting. And then we're going to have a couple that are grandparents and great grandparents. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to ask them to answer as many of your questions as we possibly can answer. So I hope you'll come back for that. And What I hope that you'll do as well is if you're new and you haven't listened to our past two messages, I strongly encourage you to do that. Those messages are critical for what we're going to talk about today. They lay a great foundation. Tim taught in the first week, Evan taught in the second week, and they lay a great foundation for what we're going to learn about discipling our kids today through discipline. So uh, before we begin, let me introduce you to my family. So on the screen, you'll see a picture of my family there doing one of our favorite activities, and that's being outside and hiking together. And uh, you notice the, the beautiful smoking hot babe in the green? That's my wife, okay? If you see her today, tell her her husband thinks she's smoking hot, okay? So I need some brownie points. That'd be wonderful. So that's Tammy. We've been married 22 years. And then next to her is Sydney, our oldest daughter. She is 20 years old. She lives in New York. And uh, we'll get to have her home for the summer. We're looking forward to that. Then Maddie is in the white shirt. She has just graduated high school and she's about to take her first year in college up in New York. So I'm not sure why my kids want to be as far possible as away from us as they can possibly get. I'm grateful it's not like, you know, Seattle or Washington State, but it is New York. 
Then uh, Annie is in the green shirt. She is 13 years old, and she attends Buddy Taylor Middle School right here. Wonderful girl. And then we've got Cody, our son, rounds out the family. He's 11, fifth grade at Wadsworth Elementary School. So that's my family. And just so you know, I am not a parenting expert. I have uh, parented for about 20 years. I've got a background in counseling. I have been parented myself, um, relying heavily on scripture, uh, you know, because I've got just so much perspective of parenting. So I'm not an expert on this. We've got to really look to God for his wisdom in this. Now, my wife actually has a little bit more parenting experience than I do because she's had to parent me in addition to our four kids. So if you're a guy, uh, your wife or your girlfriend can say that as well. All right, today as we begin, what we're going to do is our message is going to be broken up into two parts. So the first part is going to be about looking at the kind of the foundation of discipline and what that looks like in our relationship with God as God disciplines us and how God wants us to discipline our kids. And then the second part of this is going to be where I answer specific questions that you have asked about discipline. So um, just bear with me as we lay the foundation first, and then we'll start in answering your questions. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible and want to turn over there, that would be great. Uh, if you have a, an app on your phone, go ahead, feel free to pull that up as well and the verses will be on the screen. Now, while those of you who are turning there, let me kind of explain what's happening in Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3. So God has created the world. He's created everything that we know. He creates Adam and Eve, so his first kids. And what's God do with his first kids? He places them in a perfect environment. So he places them in a place called the Garden of Eden. So it's perfect. I mean, they have everything they could ever want. They have a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God, the way that God originally intended life to be and the way that one day life will be when God comes back to set that back up again. So it's a perfect environment. And what God did in the garden, he planted two trees. There are two trees, a tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were planted right in the middle of the garden. And God had one instruction for Adam and Eve, just one. So listen to it. Genesis chapter two, verse 16 says this. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Let me expound on that for a moment. So Adam and Eve, do you see the grove of trees way over there? Like, like just on the horizon, you can eat any of those trees that you want. Like you walk as far as you can over here in this direction until you get to a river. You can eat any of the trees that you want in that direction. Like any tree you see anywhere, you can eat of its fruit in abundance. Have fun, enjoy the flavor, enjoy the variety, you know, taste the rainbow, enjoy the Skittles. I mean, it's just like ha have it all, Okay. Except, verse 17, there's one tree I want you to leave alone. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay, so we're going to condense the name of that tree down to the tree of death. We've got the tree of life. We've got the tree of death placed right in the center of the garden. Now, I've often wondered, why in the world would God put those two trees in the center of the garden? Like, I understand the tree of life. I mean, the center of life, I mean, that's great. Tree in the middle, that'd be awesome. Um, but why the tree of death right there? Why not like on the edge of the garden? Like where they're not gonna bump into it every day. How about outside the garden where they can look over the wall and see, oh, that's the bad tree. Don't go out there and mess with that one. How about not the tree of death at all? Wouldn't that be great? That'd be fantastic. Here's why I think God gave us the tree of death and why I think God planted it in the middle of the garden. Number one, God gave us this gift called free will. 
He gave us the ability to choose whether we were going to follow him or not. And so it was the only loving thing that God could do. God can't force us to love him. That's not a loving thing. So God gives us the ability to choose. Symbolizes that by the tree of life and the tree of death planted right in the middle of the garden. Why did he put it right in the middle? Because every day you and I bump into those two options. Every day you and I bump into those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of death. And every day you and I have a decision. Will we choose to follow God? Will we do what God wants? Will we do what we want? Will we obey him? Will we disobey him? What tree will we eat from today as we wake up and stand in front of those two trees? Now think about that from our kids' perspective. Okay, so let's step into this generation right now and and younger. So our kids' perspective, as, as they are looking every day, they wake up and they face two trees. Here's the reality for those of us kind of in my generation or older, and I never thought I would say this, but here I go. So when I was a kid, like I never thought I'd say, like old people say that, like, I'm not old. I'm not, like, why, I, why would I say that? But when I was a kid, there weren't as many opportunities to sin as there are today. Now, there were a lot of opportunities and I found many of them. But think about it from this perspective. For me, my generation, I think older, we had to go find trouble. Like, trouble just wasn't necessarily in my house readily available. I had to go look for it, and I found it on many of occasions. But for our kids today, trouble finds them. Guess what? It comes right into our homes. Sometimes it comes right into their bedroom. It's found on these little devices called iPhones and smartphones and uh, tablets and computers and laptops and the internet and TV. It's, it's found on those things and it comes right into our homes. And my heart grieves for our kids sometimes. I think, wow, they face every day two trees and there are a whole lot of distractions around the tree of death. There are a whole lot of things that are are waving at them, shiny things saying, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm over here, pick me. They face temptations that I didn't face. So we've got Adam and Eve. They've got these two trees, tree of life, tree of death. They've got a decision to make. What are they gonna choose? They're gonna choose life. They're gonna choose death. And uh, you don't even have to know the story to know what they picked. What did they do? They ate the fruit. They ate the fruit that that God told them not to eat. Don't know how long it took. Could have taken a day. Could have taken a month. Could have taken a year. Not sure. Um, But at some point, they made the decision. We're eating from the tree of death. So listen to what happened in verse 8. So Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 8, it says this. And I forgot to warn the tech table. I'm going to go through... um, Verse 8 to verse 13, all in one chunk. So if you'll track along with me. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked And God asked this very profound question, who told you that you were naked? And I wonder if God didn't pause there. 
I wonder if there wasn't this just eerie silence from God. Who told you that you were naked? And then God asked the next question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to? Hmm. God's using an amazing strategy of asking probing questions. Uh, It's something, if you have kids, you probably understand what that's like. Um, You know, your teenager comes home and you say, I know you weren't where you said you were last night. So where were you? Who'd you go with? What'd you do? How'd you get there? There's a lot of questions that, that we as parents should ask. And what's God's goal in that moment? God's goal is to create a space for Adam and Eve to go, like, I blew it. I did it. I take responsibility. Like, I need to step out of hiding and step into the light of your truth. Like, I did wrong. Uh, But you'll never believe what Adam and Eve did. Like, listen to this. It's craziness. We would never do this, ever. But listen. The man replied, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and then I ate it. Like, God, it's not my fault. Like, really, it's Eve's fault. if, If she wouldn't have held that fruit out, I never would have eaten that fruit. You know what, God, really? You want me to be honest with you? Last 10%, it's your fault. Why? You made her. Like, I didn't make her. I was just asleep and, you know, woke up with one less rib and then here she is. And then, you know, like, she tempted me. So really, it's her fault and your fault. And then God said to the woman, what have you done? She said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So Adam and Eve are playing this really fun game that we love to play. It's called hide and go blame. So like when we sin, when we do something wrong, what do we do? Like, I'm going to run and hide. I hope nobody finds me. And if somebody does, guess what? I'm going to blame other people. That wasn't my fault. If they wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have. Like, it's really their fault, not my fault. I'll take like a portion of the responsibility. I have 10% of the responsibility, but they have like 90% of the responsibility. God, you need to punish them. And maybe you need to even punish yourself because if you wouldn't have made so-and-so this way or made me this way, I mean, you know, I mean, this is horrible. So we play this wonderful game of hide and go blame. And God says, listen, if you're going to learn the lessons that I want you to learn, you got to stop hiding. You got to stop blaming. You got to come out and you got to take responsibility for the stuff that you've done. Isn't that what we want with our kids? You know, my kids sometimes say, another lecture, dad. Like, really, you're going to lecture me on this? And I say, yeah, the lecture ends when the lesson has been learned. Why do I lecture? Because I'm not sure you've learned the lesson yet. So until you learn the lesson, I'll continue to lecture. You got some time? And I continue on. So that God does that with us. Um, As a loving parent for us, God says, until you've learned the lesson, I've got to do a little bit more lecturing in your life. I want you to learn this. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to stop hiding and stop blaming. Come out of the shadows. Take responsibility, and I'll help you fix the stuff that you've damaged. Now, at this point, God had a decision to make. Was God going to discipline them or not? Try to to think, what would you do? If you're in this situation, let's say you're in God's spot. You've created Adam and Eve. They're your, your kids. You love them. What do you do in this moment? Do you go, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. It was just some fruit. You know, it's like your kids ate the cookie on the counter that you told them not to eat, you know, till, till for dessert. Like, what do you do? Like, it wasn't that big a deal. But you listen, mister. 
you listen, young lady. If you do this again, you're really in trouble next time. But I'm going to let it go this time. What would you do if you were in God's spot? This is what Hebrews 12, 6 says. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So God loved Adam and Eve, loved them. If you're a Christ follower, God loves you. If you're not a Christ follower, God loves you. The only option that God had was to discipline his kids. He had to discipline them because he loved them. So God disciplines them. Verse 16. Verse 16, God says, and then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And ladies go, ugh. That's part of the discipline. God didn't just discipline Eve in that moment. He disciplined all of humanity in that moment. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So God disciplined his kids. But let me ask you this. What would you have done in that moment? Would you discipline Adam and Eve like that? Or would you say, you know, I'm going to let this one go. Not that big of a deal. It's just fruit, one bite. I mean, maybe I'll give them another warning. I'll give them another warning, two more warnings, maybe three more warnings. What would you have done in that moment? Proverbs 13, 24 says this. It says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. That is a really big statement. And as we look around at parenting today, it feels like there are a lot of parents who hate their kids. And they would argue with us and they'd say, no, I don't hate my kids. I love my kids. And I understand that they love their kids. But based upon that verse, it feels like they hate their kids because they choose not to discipline them. They choose not to. I'll let this one go. I'll let that one go. I'll let, I'll let another one go. And we get in this habit of letting almost everything go. Now, should we discipline every minor thing that our kids do? Should we micromanage our kids' life and catch them like doing wrong all the time? No, I don't think that's what God's saying here in this verse. I think there are times that we, we step up and we discipline. There are, there are moments that we may overlook something in a moment. Um, but here's how I have learned to kind of remember when discipline is required. I call it the three D's, okay? So when our kids do any one of these D's, then that's when we need to enact discipline. Three D's are this, disrespect, disobedience, and defiance. So disrespect, disobedience, and defiance. So anytime our kids enact one of those three D's, I think it's an appropriate time to engage some discipline. And I think we need to engage that discipline as quickly as possible. So we don't need to wait a few days. We don't need to wait a few weeks, put it on the back burner like, hey, I'll get to it later because often we won't. We'll forget about it and we won't come back and do the most important thing of follow through. So I think we need to deliver that as quickly as possible. So if you look in this story with Adam and Eve, God gave discipline immediately to Adam and Eve, immediately. 
Now, for us as humans, you know, it'd be awesome if we were God and we could determine exactly the discipline each of our kids needs as they're growing up at the at the exact moment in their lives, but we're not God. And so sometimes it takes us a little bit longer. So here's how discipline has evolved in my life as a parent. When my kids were younger, around that three to five or six-year-old window, um, it was a little easier to discipline them in that moment. Now, if you're a parent of a three to five-year-old, like you're going like, really? Like, not right now. Like I'm in this crazy season of discipline. So there are seasons of discipline. If you're in a season of discipline, hang in there. Don't quit. Don't throw up your hands and throw in the towel. Hang in there. It'll get easier, but we've got to stay focused on disciplining our kids in those, in those moments. So when my kids were younger, it was a little bit easier to, to discipline them because it was a little bit easier to figure out what they were going to do. In three to five, what are they going to do? They're going to throw a temper tantrum when I don't buy them candy on the way out of the store. They're going to refuse to eat dinner. They're going to take something from somebody that doesn't belong to them and say, it's mine. And they're going to argue with me over that one. Okay, so like that's kind of about what they would do in that age frame. And so after I got over the initial shock of that, you know, when the kind of first time they turned from an angel to a demon, like you could see it in their eyes, like, like you're not my kid anymore. Like, you don't look the same. Like, like something has possessed you now. And they express their will and they want to violate one of the three Ds. Perfect time to start enacting discipline. Those moments, a little bit easier to do that when they're little. Now, as my kids have gotten older, my kids have gotten more creative with their sin. Just like I did when I was growing up with my parents. So there are moments that I'll find out something that my kids have done. And I'm a little bit like taken off guard. Like, wow, Really? I wasn't expecting that one. That was pretty creative. Wow. Okay, I got to think about that one. So sometimes I need a little bit of time to figure out what the best discipline is for them. And here's what I do when I'm in that spot. So I say to them, you will be disciplined, but I need a few days, maybe a few hours to kind of figure out what that discipline should be. I need to talk to your mom. I need to pray. I need to talk to God. I might even need to get wise counsel to help me figure out what the best discipline for you is in this moment. And then we've got to do the next most important thing after figuring out what that is. We've got to follow that discipline up. We've got to come back and say, hey, I've spent some time praying. I've spent some time talking and I've decided the discipline for you. If we don't follow that up, we're in trouble. Our kids know, you know what? Mom and dad are so busy. They're not going to come back and follow. It's not that big a deal. Like, well, I'll be able to get through this one. No problem. So we've got to follow that up and lovingly discipline and force that correction in their world. Here's what most parents feel like when it comes to the, the super fun subject of discipline. We feel like it's a major detour in our lives. So it's kind of like we're taking this big journey. We're, we're like going to Disney World with our kids. And it's so great. We're driving down 95. We're going to I-4. It's going to be fantastic. We've got our luggage. We're going to stay a few days. It's so much fun. Life is great. We're on the party of our lives. This is fantastic. Our kids are here. And then all of a sudden, our kids do something stupid. And it pulls us off the main path. And we're, we're like driving these back roads looking at cows and pastures. And we're going like, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be on this detour. I want to be back on the main road where everything's great and fun. Everybody's getting along and it's super fun because we're going to Disney World. So we look at discipline sometimes as a detour. Here's what God looks at discipline as. It's not a detour. That has become the main path for your kids to grow up to be the people that I want them to be. 
So right now in this moment, change your perspective. It's not a detour. Don't just hold on and like, I can't wait to get back on the main road. This is horrible. This is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. No, God says, understand that this is now the main path that you need to be on for the benefit, the spiritual development of your kids. Why? Because discipline is about discipleship. Discipline is about discipling our kids to become more like Jesus. What's more important than that when it comes to our parenting? Nothing. So it's not a detour when we're off looking at cows. That has become the main path in that moment to help our kids grow up to be the people that God wants us to become. So we need to understand that and keep that perspective in front of us always. Proverbs 22, six says this, direct your children onto the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. The English standard version of the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that kind of development, that training, that helping our kids stay in the right path, that takes time and attention it's not something that we can, we can do in our spare time where we give all of our, our energy, the best of our time to work, the best of our time to our hobbies, the best of our time to relationships outside of the family. And then we give our kids the leftovers. We can't. We've got to stay focused on helping our kids grow to be like Jesus. That's discipleship and that's discipline. Discipline is not a detour. It's one of the main roads to help our kids grow to be like Jesus. Now, here's another parenting insight from this story with Adam and Eve. Discipline is painful, not only for kids, but for parents. If you're a kid, you're going, yeah, whatever. If you're a parent, you're going, I get that. So in this story, there was a separation between God and his kids. God had to place Adam and Eve outside of the garden. Uh, there was still a relationship there, but that relationship was broken. And then verse 21 says that God killed some animals to make clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. So just like try to put yourself in Adam and Eve's spot for just a second. Okay, so like you, you remember, God said, don't eat that or you're gonna die. And they did die. Uh, but in that moment, like they're, they're shamed because of what they've done and it's symbol, symbolized by their nakedness and so they feel shame and guilt. And then what does God do? He kills an animal. So they're, they're watching this. They're watching this blood pour on the ground. This innocent animal has paid their price to cover their sin. Very symbolic, extremely symbolic. And God says, listen, I'm, I'm putting your sin on this animal and later, God would say, I'm going to put your sin on a person. So in the midst of discipline, what do we see? Grace. We see grace. And for God, from his perspective, it's painful. Painful to be separated from his kids. Painful to kill the innocent. And again, when I was a kid, my parents would say, this hurts me a whole lot more than it hurts you. And I thought, whatever. Like... It's hurting me right now, so stop it. But as a parent, I understand. Loving parents are willing to walk through the discomfort and the pain of disciplining our kids for their benefit, for their spiritual benefit, so that they can grow to be more like Jesus. 
Now, some of you ask the question, when do I start disciplining my kids? Like, when do I begin this process? And from my experience, it's around that 18 to 24 month window. So somewhere around there, you'll see a change in your kid's eyes and it's from angel to demon. So whenever that happens, not sure with your kid, whether it's, you know, two years old or before that or a little after that, not sure, but there's a moment they discover their will and they, de- they determine I can violate the three D's. I can eat from the tree of death and I'm gonna. So in those moments, that's a perfect time to start disciplining uh, our kids. It's super important to start that early and not wait. So here's the thing a lot of parents do. We look at our little kids and they're so cute at two, aren't they? When they're defiant, it's just so cute. And we're trying not to laugh because, you know, it's super funny when they do stupid things like that. And they're shaking their little fists at us. And you're not the boss of me and I'll do whatever I want. So in those moments, we can be tempted not to discipline. They're so cute. I'm not going to discipline them right now. But I guarantee you this. What's cute at two is not cute at 12, is not cute at 20. It gets worse. If you start early, discipline actually gets a little easier down the road. If you start early and stay consistent, if you wait until they're 10, if you wait until they're 15, can you make up lost ground? You can, but you just made a whole lot of a a harder fight for you as a parent to make up that ground. So start early and stay consistent. Now, one of the most popular questions that we had out of this uh, discipline category was this, what's the best way to discipline our kids? A lot of you are asking like, what's the best way? A lot of controversy on this subject. Uh, so some experts say timeout is the best way. Grounding is the best way. Loss of privileges. Some even recommend occasionally using the S word. What's that? You've had that happen maybe to you in your life, or you've heard of that before. Um, so a number of you actually asked about that. So you, you wrote in your question, like, what's God's perspective on spanking? So um, hot subject today in our crazy culture. So listen to what the Bible says about that. Proverbs twenty three thirteen. It says, don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Now, let me be clear about something with that. That verse does not say that we have to spank our kids. That verse doesn't say that. It says that spanking is an appropriate form of discipline if it's used in the appropriate way. So one parenting expert that I read said that spanking is most effective between two and six. Beyond that, it's lost its effectiveness. So if you're trying to spank your 15-year-old, <laughs> I'm thinking you missed the window, okay? So for Tammy and I, we spanked all four of our kids from around that 24-month window till about three or four years of age, somewhere in there, and we shifted to natural consequences as quickly as we could do that. Now, if you do choose spanking as a form of discipline, you should know several things about it. It should only be done in the appropriate season of life for them. Again, in that window, that appropriate window, outside of that window, it shouldn't be done. Uh, it should be done in the appropriate way in the appropriate location. So the appropriate way is that you are not crazy, out of your mind, uh, eyes bugging out, yelling and screaming at the top of your lungs, dragging your kid to their room for the spanking. That's not how we should spank our kids. If you have an anger problem, let me be real clear about this one. If you have an anger problem, you should not spank your kids. Find another form of discipline besides that one. You will hurt your kids emotionally, and you will scar them for life. Do not spank your kids with an anger problem, okay? The appropriate location 
is the place that you are sitting on right now. Okay, so you're sitting on this wonderful gift that God has given us. It's a little bit padded and uh, it's, it's a perfect environment to redirect our kids. And when we uh, apply the appropriate love pat on the backside at the appropriate time with our kids, it sends a message to the brain. Oh, I need to make a course correction in my life. Like that's not okay. I need to make some adjustments in how I'm living. Okay, so again, uh, spanking is not punching a couple teeth out of our kid's mouth. It's not slapping our kids across the face. It's not throwing a kid up against the wall. That's abuse. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. That's back to discipleship. What's the purpose of discipline? Discipleship. So spanking is an appropriate form of discipline if used in those ways. Appropriate season, appropriate way, appropriate location. Now, any form of discipline can become abusive if we use it out of its bounds. Like any form. Um, you know, you can go to an extreme with anything. So we've got to be careful with, with all that. I think the most uh, effective way to discipline our kids is through natural consequences. And I think we need to shift to natural consequences as quickly as possible as our kids are starting to grow in their development, their brains changing. They're starting to learn, oh, when I do that, then this action happens. When they start learning that, I think we should get to natural consequences as quickly as possible. So in adult world, here's a natural consequence for us. So let's just say that this week you're going to uh, decide to go to the beach instead of, of going to work. Let's just pretend maybe you work for somebody else. You're not going to call into work. You're not going to let them know what's happening. You're just going to the beach. You need a vacation. You're taking one. All right. But you expect on Friday to be paid and you expect to come back to a job. So what might your boss do when they find out that you're not in the hospital and you're not dead? They might free your future and let you find another job. You know, like you might get fired. There are real consequences to the decisions that we make. And I think our kids need to feel those real consequences as quickly as possible. That's super important for them to start making that connection between their behavior and the consequence that, that follows. And uh, we have to be the enforcer of what they have chosen. Okay, so you know, with my kids, hey, because you've done this, here's what you've chosen. I'm gonna enforce the, the decision that you made we need to help our kids understand that. And when we don't help our kids understand that, guess what? The rest of the world gets to help parent those kids who weren't parented well. And maybe you as a boss get to do that. And you have an employee that walks in and says, well, well my mom and dad would never do that for me. They let me do what I wanted. I'm sorry, I'm not your mom and dad, but right now I get to parent you and you're fired. So we've got to discipline our kids, I think, with natural consequences as quickly as possible. And we need to stay consistent with that. One of the biggest ingredients in any form of, of discipline is consistency. Are you consistently disciplining your kids? This isn't one of those things where you go, well, I do it once in a while. Well, I do it one moment and then I let it go 10 other moments until I blow my top because I'm so irritated at my kids that I've, I've given them grace and grace and grace and grace and grace. I can't take it anymore. And then I blow my top. That's not loving, consistent parenting. We've got to consistently discipline our kids when they violate the three Ds and do that in a, a loving manner. Now, a number of parents ask this. If, they, if you have multiple kids, they ask this question, like, is it fair to parent my kids differently? 
And sometimes, you know, we get into this big fairness conversation. My kids, and, and I love to have that conversation. Um, my kids love to have it with me. But that's not fair. Here, here's my goal. As a parent, my goal is not to be fair. Okay? So you notice with Adam and Eve, when God disciplined them, there was a different discipline with each of them. There was the same discipline that both of them experienced in that separation from God. But God gave Eve something different than he gave to Adam. It was a little different based upon them and their uniquenesses. So my goal is to be fair in my parenting, but not maybe specifically in how I discipline each unique kid because they're different. And we've got to know that about our kids. So here's just kind of a funny example when my kids were little, uh, my older kids. Um, so uh, Sydney, uh, when they were like five and three, somewhere in there, Sydney's a very social girl, loves being around people. And the worst form of discipline we found in that season of her life was sending her to her room early. That she would have to go to bed while her little sister was up. And you would have thought we cut her arm off. Like she's going to bed, like screaming, like this is horrible, it's the worst thing ever. And she'd go up and cry for what felt like hours. And then we would try that with her sister, Maddie. But Maddie's very different. Maddie kind of uh, likes to be alone. She doesn't mind being alone. And so we'd say, Maddie, you violated one of the three Ds. Okay, you need to go to your room. And she'd go, okay. <laughs> she wouldn't even turn the lights on going up the stairs. And we're like, hey, do you need the lights turned on? No, I'm good. She'd go sit in the dark in her room, just kind of liked it. We walk in, she'd have a little smirk on her face, like, this is great. I love it. Can I go to my room more often and I can get out of eating dinner? So we found out like, hey, this isn't working. Like we got to come up with a new strategy. So, so one night my wife thought she stumbled on this strategy. She said, I think I found it. Like, well, what, what, what is it? What's going to work with Maddie? Dessert. No dessert. I'm like, what? Like take away dessert from her? I'm like that's not going to work. She goes, yeah, well, let's watch. So when she violated one of the three Ds next, uh, my wife would say, I'm sorry, Maddie, but you've chosen tonight to not have dessert. You would have thought we cut her arm off. <laughs> like, ah, the worst thing ever. This is horrible. This is terrible. And I'm thinking, wow, is that really it? Apparently that is. This is fantastic. Thank you, God, for helping us to, to stumble upon that one. Now, again, as our kids change, we've got to, as they grow, we got to change with them. And so like, you know, dessert, is that going to work forever? Nope, that's not going to work forever. Go into your room early. Is that going to work forever? No, it's not going to work forever. So we've got to learn what is unique to that kid, what will help that kid grow to be more like Jesus. What's the leverage? I guarantee you there's leverage. I guarantee you there's something that's valuable to them. What is it? Got to find that thing. And it might change a few years down the road. You might have to find something new, but we've got to find those things. And I think it's very okay to discipline our kids differently based upon their unique personalities. And I think God would want that. Now, several of you asked this question about strong-willed kids. I said, I've got a strong-willed child. What do I do if I'm in that spot? Um, so first thing I'd recommend is make sure you're doing the stuff that we're talking about. Make sure you're doing the stuff we talked about two weeks ago and then last week. Make sure you're doing the stuff that we talked about to this point in, in uh, our message today, that you're being consistent, you're following through, you're loving your kids. It's based upon your love for them. Uh, make sure you're doing all that. And then when you get to the end of that and you're going, man, this kid is challenging every parenting skill I have and then some. What I'd recommend is getting some professional help. There are professional counselors that can help you with that in those specific seasons or those unique situations with your kid. And I think you should invest in your parenting, invest in your discipleship opportunities with your kid by getting some of that help. Get some wise counsel. 
So on our website, we've got some um, recommendations for local counselors. You can go to our website, theepicchurch.com. Under our care tab, you'll find local counselors. And I would uh, click on that, find somebody. I'd make a phone call. I'd sit down and make an appointment. Uh, Several appointments, an investment of that can help you immeasurably if you've got a really strong-willed child that you're battling. Now, there are other resources out there that can help with that, and here's one of them. A book called The Strong-Willed Child by Dr. James Dobson. Okay, this is an older book. Uh, It's been updated, but there are books like this from a Christian perspective that can help you in those moments where you're like, man, I'm not sure what to do with my kid. I'm kind of at a loss. My kid is is so strong-willed, and you can get some resources from this. Now, this is an older book. Guess whose book this was? My parents. It was in their library. So I say they got it because of my older brother. My older brother says they got it because of me. I'm not sure, but this belonged to my parents, and it now belongs to me. So you might need some resources. Get some resources that can help you in your unique parenting. We've got a list of resources on our Spiritual Growth Challenge you can pick up from our Connection Center before you leave today. Now, before we wrap up, I've got some questions I want to ask all of us. So if you're a parent, I want you to think about your current parenting or maybe the past parenting that you've done. If you're not a parent, I want you to think about the parenting that's been done to you or the opportunities that maybe you have to influence other people around you and some parenting discipleship opportunities. So I'm just going to ask some reflective questions that I think it'd be good for us to process through before we wrap up. So here's the first question. How are you doing at lovingly disciplining your kids? Are you doing it in a loving manner? Are you disciplining them? Do you see discipline as an unnecessary detour in life? Or do you see it as one of the main paths to help your kids become more like Jesus? Is your discipline appropriate? Was your discipline appropriate? And if it wasn't appropriate, if it isn't appropriate, what do you need to do to fix that? Is there something you need to stop? Is there something you need to start? Do you need to go and apologize to your kids? If your discipline has been inappropriate, the answer is yes to that one. Where do our kids learn to apologize? From us. So if you've been inappropriate with your discipline, go apologize to your kids and determine to learn how to discipline the way God wants you to. Are you consistently disciplining your kids or are you just too busy for that? Can't be a back burner issue. This isn't a detour. It's the main path. What extra help do you need as a parent? And will you get that help? And what adjustments do you need to make in your current parenting style? Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be done for today. Um, Next week, we're going to have our parenting panel here, so I hope you'll come back for that. Um, But I would just like to ask, um, if there's anybody here in a really difficult parenting season, you're in one of those spots, like, it's just wearing on you, and uh, you need some extra help. Um, I would like to end the service by praying for you. And this might feel a little awkward, especially if you've got a kid sitting next to you. Um, but I'd like you just to kind of like maybe raise your hand or your finger so your kid doesn't see or something. Um, so just let me know. Like, okay, we've got a number of parents in a, in a tough spot. Um, there can be any number of reasons for that. But um, let's all pray together 
for these parents, okay? So let's pray. God, parenting is not for cowards. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And yet, God, you've modeled it so beautifully for us, and so we've got to learn from you on a regular basis. And God, we've got to understand that when it comes to discipline, it's really about discipleship. And Lord, discipline is not a detour. It's the main road. So Lord, I just pray this morning for these families. Or there's some parents here that are in a, a heavy season of, of parenting, a heavy season of discipline. I pray that you would give them the wisdom that they need. I pray that, that they would tap into the resources that you make available to them to learn. I pray that they would find some wise counsel around them, that they would be, dive into your written word, that they would talk to, to wise people who understand your word, who can help them get the, the resources that they need. I pray for encouragement. I pray for some rest because I, I know those moments can feel like they go on forever and you feel like you're never going to get out of that season. I pray that they would hold tightly to their faith and you as they walk this journey and that they would not give up in discipling their kids the way that you want them to be discipled. Encourage all of us, Lord, I pray, as we parent. We rely on you always, Lord, for, for every decision that we have to make when it comes to our parenting and beyond. Uh, so, Lord, I pray for some incredible encouragement for them even today. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Thank you for being here today, everybody. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week. Well, anyways, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. If you are a guest, thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about who we are, we would love to, for you to stop by our Connection Center right over here and uh, we'd love to meet you and answer any questions that you might have. Well, I've got a couple announcements for us. The first one is in the month of July, we are sending two teams to Guatemala. And they, yeah, so that's some of the team members right there. But anyways, they're going to do an amazing work on our behalf down there. They're going to be building some houses, investing in children's lives. And one of the teams is going to be doing a medical part of um, the mission trip as well. And if you're asking, well, how can I help or how can I get involved with that? Uh, there's some things that we need from you to be able to help us with. And so there is a card on your seat. It's labeled not going, uh, but give. And let me tell you about a few of the opportunities that you can help us out with in this investment on these mission trips. First is uh, where we build the houses, uh, there are families that are around them and they are amazed that you know, this church is coming to build a house for their neighbor. And so already, their interest is already kind of peaked. And so it's a real cool opportunity for us to distribute some water filters for the surrounding families that are in that area. And so what this water filter does, it will guarantee them to have clean water, I believe for like three to five years. This filter is like amazing. And so um, if you would like to be a part of that, uh, a water filter costs $45 uh, for one family. If you want to donate for two families, that's $90. 10 families, that's 
$450. And what we'll do is not only tell them how to use that water filter, we're also going to share with them about Jesus and invite them to be a part of his family as well. And they are very open uh, when they see us coming and building a house for their neighbor. They are very interested um, in why we're there and what we are doing. And so it's a great opportunity to do that. And then some of the uh, team members, there's another way that you can support them. Some of them have had to, or all of them have had to raise uh, funds for their trip. And so you can do that as well. And there's two ways. You can either say on your checks, go trip water filters or go trip sponsorship. And then one way that we can all help out as well is right there on the bottom, we need adult and children vitamins. So just, you know, the regular vitamins that you take, gummy ones, if you're like, you know, me and I love gummy ones instead of the big horse pills. But anyways, just pick them up and bring them in. And on the Connection Center, we have a bin there. We need them by next Sunday, so May 29th. And so all of us bring in a bottle of adult vitamins or children vitamins, um, as that goes a long way uh, in the life of those uh, kids and then family members as well, uh, because their nutritional value down there is not very great. And so vitamins are a big thing for them. And so um, we just want to say thank you guys so much. You guys do so many things that are so generous in our community as we continue to reach out to our local community and things that we do, and then also going on the international trips. And so if you want to be a part of what we do here to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, there's two ways that you can give financially. You can give through the giving boxes located at the end of each section or securely online at theepicchurch.com. Well, today we are in part three of our message series on parenting. And so just sit back and enjoy the rest of the service.